That's right. We are in week three of our Steadfast Prayer series, and we've been looking at prayer and the ways in which we, as a body of Christ, are called to pray. And so this is a unique message here, uh, this section in Colossians chapter 4. When I first approached it, it didn't seem like I'd be able to get much life application out of it because Paul's just mentioning a bunch of names, mentions this guy here and this guy there and this brother here and this sister there. And so after study and prayer, I feel like we have some real lessons we can learn from what Paul is unpacking there in Colossians 4. So this, this morning, I'm titling the message, A Church That Stands Together. A Church That Stands Together. And that's going to be the context of, of what we're looking at as far as prayer. So by way of introduction, before we get to the text, I know that if you are alive today and you're living in our world and you're aware of what's going on, you know that we live in divided times. That our world is divided in so many different ways. It is unavoidable. You watch the news. You, you even go out in public and you see kind of the, the, you know, there's the division with the mask or the not mask. There's the division about politics and, and what side you're on. And, and that's, that's just always, there's always new divisions that take place. I was watching, uh, I looked at the headline this morning as to kind of look to see what's going on with the storms and I read a headline that said that President Trump is going to have a press conference this evening at 6 p.m. to discuss a breakthrough for a medicine, a therapeutic medicine for COVID-19. And in his press conference, he's going to have the head of the FDA with him. He's going to have one of the leaders of the CDC with him as, as well. Now, at, on the surface, when you, when you hear that, you think, wow, the head of the FDA is going to be there. That must mean this is pretty significant. But I know one thing for sure. Whatever he's going to say tonight, we're going to be divided. Won't we? We'll be divided. Because people have their opinions and their views. And in a, and in a political season, everything is divided. But that just is heightened during a, a, a political season. Life in general is divided. And you know what happens the division that is in our world today if in many different ways that it takes its form, that division, if we're not careful, it finds its way into the church. It finds its way into our life within the church and our interactions with one another. And so as a body of believers, as my title says, we must be a church that stands together. We must be a church that looks different than the world. The world is divided over endless list of things. And we must be a church that the world can look at and can say, wow. Look at those people. They're different, different background, different races, different, different socioeconomic class, different, different opinions, different views about different things. But yet they come together for a singular goal of gospel proclamation. What a picture of love and unity. And this is what I see in the text in Colossians chapter 4. I see, I don't see division. I see unity. When the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4, the text we're going to read, he mentions the names of different men and, and, and different leaders within the churches that he has planted and he's interacted with. And you see a picture that the church, the early church wasn't about the Apostle Paul. The early church wasn't about the Apostle Peter who preached the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't about one man. It was about everyone had their part to play in the gospel moving forward. And when you study Paul's letters, study Paul's letters, he, he mentions over a hundred people by name in his letters. Over a hundred people. He loved to recognize and to encourage and to talk about other brothers and sisters in Christ that were a part of the church of God. You know, Satan's strategy is to divide us from within. 
because of our differences, because of our diversity. That's Satan's strategy, to divide us from within because of our diversity. God's strategy is to bring unity through our diversity. He wants to bring unity, and that's counterintuitive. For us, how can we have unity when we're so diverse? But that's God's beautiful plan, is that we are so diverse. We are so different, but yet God uses our differences to bring us together, to complement one another, and to, and to present a beautiful picture to the world of a church that walks in unity and walks in love. So let's look at the text, and let's look at what Paul says here, and we will unpack it. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. We, we stand in honor of the reading of God's word. If you are unable to stand, we understand that. But what we do is, is we read God's word, and when we read God's word... We know that God is speaking to us as, as we read. Colossians chapter 4, it says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I send him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may, he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision, my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, Luke the, beloved, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, so does, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, this text that seemingly is just a bunch of names, random names mentioned, God, we know that every word is divinely inspired and you put it there for a reason. And there's things that we can learn from your word that, that meet our world and apply to our life. And I pray that you would speak to us, that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers of your word, that we would live out the truths of scripture in our everyday life. God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So what do we see in these lives? There's 10 people that Paul highlights, 10 people, nine men and one woman that he highlights here in Colossians chapter 4. It's kind of like the genealogies in Matthew. You read the genealogies and you think, what can you learn from a bunch of names? I think there's something so profound in these names that are listed. It teaches us about unity and how the church works together. And, and if I took the time, I could go through all 10 of those names and we can learn unique lessons based upon what we know about the lives of the men and the, and the woman that he listed there. But we're not going to do that because it's 1145 and you need to go home and get ready for these storms, don't you? Right? You need to go to Rouse's. I don't encourage you to go to Rouse's. It's going to be packed out. But so we're only going to focus on three names. And I think these three names we're going to focus on will teach us three valuable lessons. When we think about prayer and what we know of these lives, we think about prayer in the church and unity and not division. I think we can learn such great lessons about what we should pray about as concerning our church. The first one we're going to look at is, is Epaphras. Epaphras was the pastor at Colossae. 
He was the pastor that, that shepherded the church. And as Paul wrote this letter, he wants in his closing greeting to encourage Epaphras to, to, and, and, to, and to encourage the church to love him and to support him and to know that he is committed to them. This is why he says what he says. But the first thing when we look at Epaphras that we're going to look at as concerning prayer for the church is this, is that we should pray that we would be a church that is continually maturing in our faith. That's what we see in Epaphras' life. Look what the text says. Let's go back and see what Paul says about Pastor Epaphras. He says he is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. How beautiful is that? A pastor who prays. Pastors should pray. And not only should pastors pray, but they should struggle in prayer on behalf of God's people. Isn't that beautiful? Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And what is he praying? He's praying that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This is what Epaphras is praying about. He's praying that the believers at, Leia, at, 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 at Colossae would be mature in their faith. He is spending time in prayer. He's laboring in prayer. He's saying, God, I pray that you would help your people to mature and to grow. Because I know when they're mature that they're going to be able to stand assured in all of their faith. and all of the will of God. He's praying for their spiritual growth. That they would be mature. And you know what? That is, that's what we should pray about. Not only should I pray that for you, but you should pray that for your life. You should pray that for all of our church, that we would be mature. How many of you, when you first came to faith in Christ, did you have all of your issues worked out? Anybody? I can see all of you, and none of you have your hands up. Because that's the reality, that none of us, when we come to faith in Christ, have all of the, the, the wrinkles ironed out of our shirt. We have many wrinkles. We have many struggles. When you become a Christian, here's what takes place. You place your faith in the finished work of the cross and the substitutionary atonement of Christ on your behalf. And you place your faith in him and he, he, he saves you. You're born again and, and on the inside you have a new nature, new desires to love the Lord, but you still can have habits and ideas and friendships and things that need to be changed and adjusted. And that's how you begin the process of growing in your faith and learning, learning God's word. God's word is taught to you on Sundays and then you read it in your personal time and you grow in your faith. We should pray that that happens. We should not get so comfortable in our life that we think we have arrived. You know, the moment you think you have arrived is the moment that you stop pursuing. Have you ever experienced that? It takes continual effort in our life. Now look, we are not saved by works. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. Ephesians 2 says, lest any man should boast. So, so we're not saved by works, but when we are born again, we begin the journey of pursuing Christ-likeness. God wants you to look like his son Jesus. And I want you to know, so does your wife, and so does your husband, and so do your kids, and so does your boss on your job. So does everybody in your life, right? They want you to look like Christ, and that's the goal of the Christian life. And I pray that for you every day. Every day, I, I bring you before the Lord as a members of Living Word Church, and I struggle in prayer for you. And as a staff on Tuesdays, when we meet as pastors, we pray for you. By way of reminder, we do have a prayer wall that is around the corner. As you go through the foyer, you turn right as you're heading towards Hebrews Cafe, there's a wall on this side. And if you have any prayer requests, you can come and write down your prayer request on that paper that is provided there. Stick it on that wall. 
And every Tuesday, we go and I get those papers, we open them up, and we read them, and we pray for you. We want you to stand mature in the faith. And this is the prayer that Epaphras has for the church. Look at Hebrews 5. It says this, this is Paul, the writer of Hebrews, he says this, About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is not a mature believer, right? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. We need to be progressing, right? That's the picture. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, we go from being children spiritually to adults. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. How is your discernment trained? What does it mean to be discerning? It means to be able to recognize good, evil, false doctrine, good doctrine, right? Discernment, you understand, you have clarity. The way it's trained is through maturity in your faith, and the way you become mature is through the Word of God, period. The way you become mature in faith is through the word of God. Exposure to scripture. And that is the prayer. But you don't, you don't back into that, right? You don't stumble into Christian maturity. You have to pursue it. And I know if you're here as a Christian, you know that that's the case. It's kind of like this. I know football season looks like it's going to start in September and the NFL is going to pick up their games and the New Orleans Saints are going to play and, and Drew Brees, he's still our quarterback for the Saints and he's going to get under center and he's going to, he's going to, They're going to hike that ball. He's going to take that ball and he's going to turn to his right or to his left and he's going to hand that ball off to the running back. And who's the running back that's going to get that? Alvin Kamara is going to get that ball. But Alvin Kamara, he has an enemy. He has an enemy. And that enemy is going to be the linebacker on the other, that that middle linebacker, the outside linebacker on the other side of of that line of scrimmage. And Alvin Kamara's goal is to get to the end zone. Every time he touches that ball, he's not trying to get one yard, two yards, three yards. He's trying to score every time. But here's what happens. Alvin Kamara, if he takes off running to get to the end zone, that linebacker, you, what's his objective? His objective is to run as hard as he can and to knock the snot out of Alvin Kamara. He wants to not only knock the snot out of Alvin Kamara, he wants to knock the football out of his hands. He wants to destroy Alvin Kamara. And so that linebacker is going to run with everything that he has. And he's going to lower those shoulders. And and, uh, even though they shouldn't put their head down, most of them still do, he's going to try to tackle Alvin Kamara. If Alvin Kamara comes up against that type of pressure and, and hostility and he's backing up, you know, he's kind of going backwards, sideways, and he's, if he doesn't come with the same level of intensity, what's going to happen to Alvin Kamara? He's going to become a pancake. He's done. Right? That's the same picture of our Christian life. There is an enemy. And his name is Satan. And he doesn't want you to progress. He doesn't want you to go on in your Christian life. And you have to have the same level of of, of intensity and greater in your pursuit of Christ's likeness. That you are running. And you are running forcefully. And you have focus. And you have vision. Just like that running back needs to have focus and vision. So do we in our Christian life. We must be able to run with passion and vision. It takes pursuit. And that is the prayer that every pastor, that every Christian should pray. God, help me to continue to pursue so that I can become like Christ. What, what happens when we become like Christ? Look back at what Paul says about Epaphras' prayer. He says he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. 
that you may stand mature. What happens whenever you are pursuing maturity and you're pursuing Christ, you're growing in your faith? What happens? You become fully assured in all the will of God. Isn't that what we want? I want to be fully assured in all the will of God. And you know, we can, we can find that as we pursue Christ. As we come in contact with his word, his word solidifies us and gives us a solid foundation to stand on. And it is that group of people that are fully assured in all the will of God. They are pursuing Christ's likeness in every area of their life. That is the type of people that when they come to church, they're unified. They don't allow divisions to come in. They don't allow things that separate the world to separate us. This is why we must pursue Christian maturity. This is why, this is what we learn from Pastor Epaphras of Colossae, that we must pray for spiritual maturity so that we can be a unified church, so that the divisions of the world don't come into the house of God, and so that we will stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. Amen? Amen. You're either really liking my message and you're quiet or you're really just zoned out. I don't know. But that is our prayer. That's what we want. Pray that we would be a church that's continually maturing in the faith, that we'd be fully assured, that we'd be assured of Christ's love, that we'd be assured of his plan for us, that we'd be assured of his ability to work things out for our good and for his glory. Pray that we would have assurance that our life, our family, and our church is in his hands. We have that assurance when we don't shrink back. Don't shrink back, brothers and sisters. The enemy wants you to shrink back in your faith. Don't shrink back. Keep running like Alvin Kamara, like a, like a running back, a fullback with a vision for the end zone. Don't stop running. Don't stop pursuing. Amen? And when we're thinking about a mature church and a church that walks in unity, that pursues maturity and walks in unity, we must be prepared to walk in patience with one another. Now we're going to go home. Okay, now I'm going to make it personal. This is a big picture of pursuing Christ and growing in our faith and letting him work in our heart. But now I'm going to make it real. Now we're going to go home to your marriages. We're going to go home to our interaction with one another as brothers and sisters. Now I'm going to step on your toes. Are you ready? The next person we're going to look at is John Mark. Apostle Paul mentioned John Mark. And here's what we're going to learn from John Mark, that we need to pray That we would be a church that makes allowances for the faults of others. We need to be a church that makes allowances for the faults of others. We must pray that I would cut you some slack. And we must pray. I must pray. You must pray that you'd cut me some slack. You know, we don't like cutting people slack, the ones that we disagree with. We want them to be like us. Isn't that our problem? We want everyone to be just like us. But what did we learn earlier? Satan's strategy is to take our diversity and to separate us. God's strategy is to take our diversity and through our diversity to make us a beautiful, unified church. You don't have to be like me. Thank God you're not like me. If everyone was like me, we would have nobody in this church, right? If everyone was like you, vice versa, it's the same thing. We need each other and these differences. And and if we're going to have that true unity, we must learn to make allowances for the faults of others. Give room for each other to fail. You know what gets us in trouble? It's our words. It's our words. I know I've offended you. More than likely, from the two and a half years I've been preaching from this pulpit. Because I talk a lot. I get... Paid to talk. It's my calling to get up here, open the Bible and talk. And and Proverbs says that in a multitude of words, transgression is unavoidable. That's a lesson. Put that on your refrigerator. You talk too much, you're going to sin. 
right? So I know that in my interaction with you, there's things I've said, whether it's private, whether it's, whether it's in public, whether it's wherever it's at, I know I've offended you. And, and there's been some of you, right, in your interaction with someone else within the body of Christ, they've offended you. And that's, that's, that's life. That's what happens. But in the body of Christ, may we be a body that reflects the reality that we make room for people to not be perfect. That's all the kind of people we have, is unperfect people. But John Mark is a unique story. John Mark blew it. John Mark was asked to go on Paul the Apostle's first missionary journey. John Mark is asked by Paul to go with Barnabas and to go and to plant churches. So they, they go and they plant churches and, and the power of God's moving forward. You see this in the book of Acts 13, 14 and 15, starting Acts 13. And, and things got difficult on the first missionary journey. And there's a story in Acts 13 of a sorcerer that is opposing Paul and Barnabas and, and John Mark. And John Mark, when the going got tough, what did John Mark do? He got out of Dodge. He went back to Jerusalem. He said, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I'm not staying. He abandoned the Apostle Paul and Barnabas when it got difficult. And look, look, what, the, look what the text says. We'll, we'll pick up the story. Uh, it's Acts 13, 13. It says, Now Paul and his companion set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, which is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So now, later on, as the churches are being planted and ministry is going forward, we pick up the story in Acts 15. Listen to this in Acts 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they were separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of of the Lord. Right? You see the division. Paul said, no, he he abandoned us. In our time of need, when things got difficult, there was a, a division and a separation. But something happened to John Mark. Something happened. And how do we know something happened to John Mark? How do we know that Paul's relationship with John Mark changed? Well, Paul's last letter that he wrote before he was martyred for his faith was 2 Timothy. And look at 2 Timothy 4. It says, Paul says this in his closing, closing letter, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Wow. How powerful is that? Paul is arguing with Barnabas. No, he's not coming. He's not coming. You take him. You go that way. I'm taking Silas. I'm going this way. He is, I, I, I can't take him. He abandoned us in the, in the work. And there was, it doesn't say there was a little division. It says there was a sharp division. But look at Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, go get Mark. He's useful to me in the ministry. Earlier, he was not useful. He was a man that abandoned the ministry when it got hard. But Paul says, no. What do we learn from that? We learn through the story of John Mark that we must make room for people's faults and failures. That there are, you know, there's the reality of a second chance. How many of you need a second chance? And a third chance? And a fourth chance? You know what we need in in our life? We, We need a Peter. We need a Peter. What do you think happened to John Mark? How did John Mark go from a deserter to useful to Paul in the ministry? Peter is what happened. I believe Peter happened. Look at 1 Peter in Peter's letter. Look what he says. 
by Sylvanius, a faithful brother. As I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring, stand firm. She, is, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. So does Mark, my son. You don't call anybody a son unless you have a relationship. They weren't physical father and son. But there was a relationship that developed between Peter and John Mark that I believe prepared John Mark for restoration, prepared John Mark for the road of a second chance to where later in his life, the great apostle Paul could say, Mark, I need you to come with me right now because you are useful to me in the ministry. What did Peter teach John Mark? He said, I, I, I believe you can read through the lines. Peter looked at John Mark and said, brother, I tell you, I deserted. You deserted Paul. And Barnabas, but you know who I deserted? I deserted our Lord. I turned my back on our Lord. When they looked at me and they questioned me and they said, you look like you're, you're one of him. You look like you're a part of that group. What did I say? I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who this Jesus is. I turned my back on the Lord. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord gave me another chance. I rejected him and turned my back on him. But you go to John 21 and you see that that, that Jesus Christ is, is a God of the second chance. That Jesus restored Peter. And Peter could look at John Mark and say that if the Lord did that for me, he can do that for you. And may we be the same way. May we be the same way. May we be brothers and sisters that because we've all been given a second chance, have we not? We've all been given a second chance and a third chance and many more chances after that. And our life is going to be filled with a life of second chances because we serve a God of mercy and a God of grace. And if we will be a church that is unified around the gospel, it is going to be because we are maturing in our faith. And it's going to be because we make room for each other's faults. Make room for each other's faults. How often do we forget that we used to struggle with fill in the blank? And we look at the person that struggles in that area and we forget, well, that that used to be me, but we lose our patience so quickly. We forget what God delivered us from. We're all guilty of that. All of us from time to time. You know, one area that really tests us as, as parents is with our kids. We forget how much we used to be just like them. One example of that I remember one night we're eating dinner at our table and uh, my son Joel, he must have been 12 years old back then and, uh, and um, Joel's sleeping right now. He doesn't know I'm telling this story. <laughs> God bless him. Um, we have all the drinks set, table set and we're eating and drinking and Joel has, has this big old glass of sweet tea and he goes and he just grabs it and he just dumps sweet tea everywhere. I mean, it is just everywhere. I mean, and sweet, it's sweet tea. It's not water. Water's not sticky. Sweet tea gets sticky. It's, it's everywhere. And, you know, if you know my parents, Estelle can tell you this. My other kids can say this. When I get frustrated, I'll say the person's name I'm frustrated with. And I'll say, and I, I said, Joel, Joel, come on, buddy. I was frustrated and impatient. And so I go to grab the paper towels on the table to go and clean up his mess that he spilled, the irresponsible young man that he is. And I go and I, I go to grab the paper towel and my elbow hit my cup. And what happened? That sweet tea went everywhere. It went everywhere, just like my irresponsible 12-year-old son, Joel. I needed a second chance. 
And Joel needs a second chance. May we be patient with one another. It's going to take Colossians chapter 3. That's how, this is what we're going to have to do. Put, put on then, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. We studied this a few weeks ago. Meekness, patience, bearing with one another, making room, allowances for one another. And if one has a complaint, forgiving. As the Lord's forgiven us, so we must also forgive. The enemy likes to sneak in like a snake and take advantage of of our weaknesses. He wants to highlight our failures and cause division within the body. But may we not take things personal when we hurt each other's feelings. May May we live like Christ in our interactions with one another. In our church, let's pray. What, 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 what do we learn through John Mark's life? In our church, let us pray that we would reflect the graciousness that Christ has shown to us with our brothers and sisters. And what do we learn through Pastor Epaphras? We learn that we must pray that we would walk in maturity. That's what we learn if we're going to have a unified church. The last thing we're going to look at, the last person we're going to look at is, is a woman. Her name is Nympha. And Paul mentions her just in passing. It's like it's in passing. This kind of passes over, mentions, but he's not passing over. There's something very significant here. Let's look back at the text, Colossians 4.15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Wow. The great Apostle Paul. I know some of you are probably looking down at your Bible. Maybe you have a New King James or another translation, and it may say the church in his house. So there is, a, there is a conflict with the original, trans, uh, the original manuscript. Some say him, some say her, but it preaches the same message, which is that Paul looked at a woman and said in his final greetings, she is worth me acknowledging the work that she's doing in the church. He looks at a host. That's where churches met, was in homes. He looks at a host and says, and says you are, I'm going to write this letter. I don't know if I'm going to ever write another letter to this church. And in this letter, in my closing greetings, I'm going to look at a host of a church that is willing to open their home, and I'm going to honor that lady. I'm going to honor her for her willingness to open her home. What a picture. What, what, what does that give a picture for us? What do we learn from that? We learn that we need to pray that we would be a church that makes room for every member. We need to pray that we would be a church not only that is pursuing maturity, that is making allowances for the faults of others, but that we'd be a church that makes room for every member. The ones who open their homes, the ones that do meal train, the ones that open the door, the ones that, the, the ones that run the lights and the media, the ones that lead worship, the ones all across the board, every area of service. May we make room for every member, every person with a function, every person with a calling, every person a part of the body. And this is the big picture of what we learn with Paul mentioning all these different names, that it's not just about me preaching the gospel, preaching the word. It's not just about all the other pastors. It's about you. You have a place. You have a calling. God has set you apart. If you're a believer, you have a calling to impact others with the gospel. That is your calling. It's not just those who are in ministry. We're all in ministry. We are all called. We're all called. But in the world, in the world, that's not how it works. In the kingdom, it's a backwards kingdom. Look what Matthew twenty sixteen says. Jesus said this, so the last will be first and the first will be Last, in the world, it's the first shall be first and always first. And will the ones who are first will squash and step on the last. Is that not the world? That's the world. Rise to the top. Pursue the top. Get the most money. Have the most power. If you have the most money, you have the most power. It's about, it's about winning. It's about victory. 
But in the kingdom of God, the weakest, the last, the least, the one overlooked, they're the first. They're the one that deserves honor just like everyone else. May we be a church that makes room for every believer. Amen? In the kingdoms of this world, the rich and powerful are considered great. You know what what happens sometimes is that we buy into the kingdoms of this world. We get so enamored, even as Christians, with those that are rich and powerful. The Hollywood superstars, the athletes, we get enamored by them. Look at James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man, for if, for if a man, fill in the blank, some great man in our world today, put a name there, Alvin Kamara, it's a rich man, Drew Brees, it's a, that's, that's a rich man. If a man wearing a gold ring with fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man And a shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here, come sit on the front row, Alvin, Drew, come sit on the front row, I got a spot for you. But you ignore the poor man and you say, you sit over here, stand over there, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? May it not be so. May we, may we pray, we must pray that we be a church for every. Member. Every member has a place. Every member has a function. No one is greater. No one is less. We are all equal in God's eyes. The world fights for power and influence. The world is divided on every side. It's fighting for its rights and its positions. But the church is called to be a shining light in the middle of division and say, this is the kingdom of God. We're called to be so attractive to the world. They're fighting over everything, but we are called to be a shining example to the world and say, this is what God's kingdom looks like. People who love one another, who forgive one another, who, who, who support one another, who have each other's back, who pray for one another, who are there in each other's times of need, who demonstrate true love and humility. Amen? May the world fighting for position and power sneak a peek at the kingdom of God through your life and say, wow, that, that, that looks pretty good. That's what I want. I want to end like this. I want to end with a powerful section in Paul's letter. The church at Corinth, it illustrates everything that we've been talking about as we have concluded this sermon. This is 1 Corinthians 12, and the church at Corinth, we're going to eventually study 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but that church at Corinth, they were messed up. They needed a checkup from the neck up. They were, they were crazy. They were crazy, certified crazy. And Paul had to set them straight in so many different ways. But look what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. To talk about this theme we're mentioning here. For the body does not consist of one member. But of, but of many. If the foot should say. Because I'm not a hand. I don't belong to the body. That would not make the foot any less a part of the body. Do you, do you, do you catch that? Just because you're not like me. And I'm not like you. Doesn't make me any less a part of the body. Or you less a part of the body. If the ear should say. Because I'm not an eye. I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were like Ben Bufkin, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were like Dominic Ferrone, right? Where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? Diversity and unity. If we were all the same, there would be no diversity and therefore no unity. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye, I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I can't say that. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker ones, they are actually indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow, we bestow the greatest honor, the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Listen to this. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Isn't that beautiful? That's why he has made us like he's made us. He has orchestrated us and set us in place so that there would be no division in the body. He's given honor to you and honor to me and put us in our positions and our places and says work together, strive together, pray together, forgive one another, demonstrate to the world what it looks like of true unity and and love and compassion. And that one body working together, there's no division. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all are honored. All rejoice. I think about the different stories of members that are sitting here in this room right now. And I think about suffering that you guys have experienced. And your suffering has been my suffering. That's what it means to be a body of Christ. And we suffer together. But if we're a divided body, we don't even have time to suffer with each other. And care about each other. That's why we must pray there'd be no divisions, that we would be mature, that we'd be pursuing maturity, that we would be making room for the faults of others. We must pray that. I don't know if many of you heard, but on Wednesday, Brock Laracy passed away. He was 23 years old. He died of cancer, mouth cancer. He had, a long, he had about two and a half year battle with cancer. There was a season in his life where it looked like things were going well. The cancer came back and they, they sent him to Texas for further treatment and, and, and it just didn't take. And he died on Wednesday and the family really greatly suffered. They watched him. Die. We, we got word from the family that, that his last few days, last few hours were very painful for Brock, 23 years old. And so I, I just want to encourage you to pray for the family. The funeral is next Thursday at St. At Mark Funeral Home and we'll put more details on, on, the, on, on the Facebook page as we move forward into next week. Um, but, but Brock battled and I just would pray that we would pray for the family pray for Terry his mom Terry Laracy lost her husband to cancer and she also now has lost her son to cancer pray for Terry pray for Julian Brock's sister pray for Brennan Brock's brother and pray for members of our church Bill and Cindy Broussard they are his grandparents pray for them this is extremely painful and those of you who have lost loved ones you know that that is the case we need to pray for them. If you know Cindy and you know Bill, reach out to them on Facebook. Reach, if you have their number, call them. Reach out. Tell them you care. When one member suffers, all suffer. A unified body, we suffer together. We rejoice together. May we be that way. So I'd like to end with this. I'd like to end with this. Something the Lord laid on my heart uh, yesterday. So as many of you know, I, I've, I've been saying that I'm going to go through the Gospel of John after we're done with Colossians. And next week is our last message in Colossians. And, 
And uh, we're going to have the joy on September 6th to hear Kevin Laughlin preach. So I encourage you to come September 6th. If you don't come the 30th, come on the 6th. You need to hear Pastor Kevin preach. He's going to share his testimony, how God saved him, what God's doing in his life. But after the 6th, we're going to be in the thir- on, on, on the 13th. I was going to start the Gospel of John. But in prayer yesterday here at church, just preparing for this message, I just felt like that, that we need to do something different. The Lord really laid on my heart. I think that something that would be very timely for us as, as a body. And I think we need to clarify what we believe as Christians. In a world of so much division and so much separation, and in a church with so much division and so much separation, we need to, we need to have clarity of understanding about what we believe as Christians and why it matters. What is the gospel? What is gospel clarity? Where do we stand? And so... We're going to go through a series. We're going to study God's word, but we're going to study it through the Apostles' Creed. The the Apostles' Creed is over 1,600 years old, and it has been the creed of the church for over 1,600 years. Something that that, that, that the church fathers and the church has organized that has clarified for the church for centuries what is the foundational baseline beliefs of the local church. And I believe that we need this here at Living Word Church. We need it here. Because there's many of you that, you know, I've just been teaching scripture, going here or there, different books, and we've been studying. But you need to know what it is, not what you think I believe, what you think I don't believe. No, we need to know what we, we should believe based upon God's word. What is the gospel? Where is the clarity? And what do we stand on? Amen? So I'm believing that as we study through the Apostles' Creed, which we don't study a creed, we study the word. But we look at what Christians for over 1,600 years have said, this is biblical truth. This is what the gospel is. Let's study that. And you know what I think is going to happen? Is we're going to unify. We're going to have even more unity. We're going to come together around biblical truth. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word here today. I thank you for what it does in our life. Lord, it changes us. And that's what we need. We need to mature in the faith. And I pray that as we're thinking about praying for our church and praying For unity, God, I pray that you would help us to mature. You'd help us to forgive. You'd help us to make allowances for each other's faults that we would not live in offense towards one another. We'd walk in forgiveness and peace. God, I pray that we would always, as a result of that, that we'd make room for every member, every member a place, every member a part. God, I thank you for this church, for these precious people, your children, and bless them today protect them as we move forward into this week with these storms. We thank you for your protection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week.